Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Walk. I'm your host, Joshua Ingram. It is Monday, October 30th, year of our Lord, 2023. And this is episode number 101. Um, So I took a a few weeks off, uh, just been struggling spiritually. Um, Just really haven't had time or the desire um, to record anything. Haven't really had any positive spiritual thoughts, anything to speak about. Um, So it, it, it... the timing was kind of nice. You know, I finished up episode 100 and it was like kind of taking a little break. Although I don't like taking breaks from things like this because these are uh, the joys of my life. They're refreshing things. But when you're feeling spiritually down, when you're feeling shame and, and guilt from your own personal struggles with sin, it can be really hard to go into ministry. It can be hard to do ministry, you know. Some people would say, uh, you know, if we're struggling with sin, we shouldn't be doing ministry because it makes us a hypocrite. Um, I disagree with that as long as a person's transparent. I think, how could any of us do any ministry if we had to be sin-free to do it? You know, it's, it's. but I'm not going to pretend that I'm not a sinner. I'm not going to pretend that um, I don't struggle with sin and, 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 you know, struggle against my own disgusting flesh and my own wicked thoughts and wicked heart. You know, I, I, I see myself as the chief of all sinners, knowing my own internal thoughts and struggles. I can't imagine anybody being worse than me. Um, although that's kind of a form of pride, too. I also recognize that we're all the same. Just some people don't um, self-examine the way they ought to. And so they see themselves more highly than they ought to. But I am a sinner, you know, I'm, 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 I struggle with sin and sometimes my struggle with sin is so overwhelming and there's so little victory and I'm, I'm, I, I, I delve into sinful activities and thoughts so frequently that I just get really, really discouraged and, um, prevents me from doing things like this. You know, it's, it's like Adam, when he sinned, he hid himself from God. And we tend to do the same thing. When when we're full of sin, we go and hide ourselves. As if God can't see us. As if he doesn't know. And as if he isn't the only source of cleansing. The only way we're going to get free from it is to go to him. It makes no sense to hide from him. Uh, but we do. And 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 it steals the, the zeal for doing ministry. But um, for the last couple weeks, I've been really thinking about uh, the nation of Israel and wanting to, I, I, I did a bad job, you know, I recorded this, the the piece I'm going to add to the podcast before recording this intro, um, and I, I don't like what I had to say, you know, I went on like a 30-minute diatribe about Israel, it's kind of, my thoughts aren't still fully focused, I don't really know what it is I wanted to say, but, um, you know, at least I was able to get some of my thoughts out. And, and hopefully it's beneficial or, or helps somebody out there to think about things in a different way or um, to examine uh, these things by the light of scriptures. Um, I don't know what I'm saying anyways, but uh, yeah, so so that's why I've, I've taken a few weeks off is I've just been struggling. Um, I've been at a really, really low point in my spiritual walk uh, for quite some time and kind of just 
just feeling defeated and um <clears throat> but at the same time also wanting to jump back into this so uh yeah uh, i guess that's it for the intro uh, i hope you enjoy the podcast well i guess something that's probably on everybody's mind lately and um you know it's certainly something to be aware of the world news here um, is the nation of Israel. And anytime, you know, anybody who's a Bible student sees something going on in Israel, um, our, our kind of radar is turned on and, and we're um, drawn to, to pay close attention to it because it's, it's we, we don't know what kind of implication it has on, on end times. Um, you know, as Bible students, we read all these prophecies about Israel in the Old Testament, and we hear all these various opinions from pastors and teachers, and um, to be honest, it's it's quite confusing. You know, you never really know um, who's got the correct and accurate interpretation of these Old Testament prophecies, because at least when I read them, they're kind of hard to decipher. Um, usually like what I find in the Old Testament prophecies is they're, they're intermingled in a historical narrative. Like you've got, um, a prophet talking about what's going on at that current moment. Um, usually, you know, some sort of captivity or, or foreign invasion. Um, like a lot of it has to do with when Babylon was invading Israel and, so you, you have those current events going on and that the prophet is talking about those current events. And then every once in a while they talk in a way that just, it's really hard to decipher what it is they're talking about. And people, and then we, we hear scholars and whatnot, people who study that type of thing saying, oh, that's about the future. And it's, it's really hard to discern like, well, is it about the future or was it something going on back then? Or is it something... We just don't understand. I probably don't make much sense while I'm talking about this because Old Testament prophecies are, are one of the most confusing aspects of the Bible to me. I just, I can't make heads or tails of it. I know that, so so I take a, a um, literal approach to the scriptures. Um, I, I believe that God speaks plainly. I believe that things are laid out in a straightforward way. I don't think there's any reason um, to turn things into an analogy or turn things into a metaphor um, when when it doesn't specifically say so. There are times where somebody is like in a vision and they see symbols. They they see symbol like in in the book of Daniel. You know, he sees beasts and whatnot. But the Lord gives us an interpretation in that same context. He tells us what those things mean. And so I believe in, in when prophets were having visions, there certainly was symbology. But when they were just speaking plainly, I think things are to be taken literal. And so when we do that, we see things written about Israel um, that seem to um, still need to take place. Like, for instance, uh, it talks about how um, the Lord will rule and reign from Jerusalem. He'll set up a kingdom from Jerusalem. And it says all the other nations will come and worship God. 
You know, they'll they'll make pilgrimages uh, to Jerusalem to worship him. That hasn't happened yet. So I've, I, I take that literal. There's no reason to turn that into an analogy or a metaphor or, or a vision because it wasn't a vision. It was just plain speech. And it talks about how there's coming a time where um, the wolf and the lamb will lay down together and a child will be able to play with snakes without fear of getting bit. And um, it talks about how if somebody dies at the age of 100, they'll be considered a baby. You know, so there's a long lifespan to come. And, and it talks about how weapons will be beaten into, er, into uh, farming utensils, you know, or traded in for farming utensils. So th there's a time of peace and prosperity coming as well that has not happened yet. And I think the book of Revelation gives us clarity on that. It's, it's, it's a thousand-year millennium period. It's during that millennium period that all these things will happen. Uh, the Lord will return to earth and he'll establish a kingdom in Jerusalem and, and set up a, a peaceful and prosperous nation of Israel. Um, so, so there's still going to be people. You know, it's, it's we who are already born again will be glorified. So we'll be in that glorified state, whatever that looks like. Uh, but there's going to be people on the earth that um, are not. And, and, and so there will still be life going on on earth during that thousand-year reign. And so there's things like that uh, that... You know, I think I've got a grasp on, but I, I don't know, because again, those Old Testament prophecies are, are written in such a way that, that make it kind of hard to decipher. Um, but with Israel specifically, there's also things about um, Jerusalem being in, in, in trouble, you know, going through perilous times. It talks about how uh, Israel and Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling to the other nations, and um, there will be war against Israel, uh, people will hate Israel, attack Israel. And, and things like that, that, again, those are things that have not happened historically. And so we go, okay, those are, those are future things. And then it, Israel didn't exist for like 2,000 years. And then in 1948, all of a sudden, there's a nation of Israel again. So it's like that, that's why Christians look at, at stuff going on in Israel and, and want to pay careful attention to it. Because it's like, hold on now, are we seeing some sort of biblical prophecy come to, come to pass here? Is this... Is this um, prophetic? Is this something we need to be aware of? Does this give us an indication that we're in the last days? And with Israel going to war with Palestine right now, it's of a particular interest, especially in regards to like, uh, there's a prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 38. And so I just want to read through, and to get the context, I'm going to read chapter 37, 38, and 39. So Ezekiel 37 says, the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about and behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. 
And when I beheld, lo, the sinews in the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said unto me, Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, and he, as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, Take thee one stick, and write upon it for Judah, and for the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick, and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel his companions. And join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by these? Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in mine hand. And the sticks whereon thou writest shall be in thine hand before their eyes. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. And they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves with any more idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places, wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people, and I will be their God. And David my servant shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments, and observe my statutes, and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. So that was chapter 37. And um, keep in mind, Ezekiel was written while the Jews were captive in Babylon. So part of that could have been fulfilled when they returned um, to their land, um, when the the Medes and the Persians, uh, I think it was Cyrus or Darius the king, uh, when they took over, or or Artaxes or something like that, I forget what his name is, but somebody gave them permission to go back to their homeland. 
Um, but I don't think that's when that was fulfilled because they still weren't their own nation. They were still um, under tribute or under under control of foreign powers. And it remained that way uh, even through the Grecian empires. As far as I know, I'm not a history expert, but my understanding is that Israel was always uh, under captivity since the time of Babylon. Even though they were re allowed to return to their land, they weren't officially a nation. <clears throat> and then in 70 AD, Rome dispersed them, kicked them out of their land and, and spread them all over the world. And then in 1948, they came back and had, had a nation. So I, I think that's when that Ezekiel 37 prophecy was fulfilled, uh, was in 1948, partially fulfilled. Because it also talks about a time of peace where they'll, where they'll worship God and God will be their God and be in the midst of them. Uh, similar language to what we find uh, at the end of Revelation. So it would seem like there's a partial fulfillment of that prophecy and that Israel uh, was restored to their land and was given um, a nation again. One nation, they're no longer two, they're no longer divided into Judah and Israel, it's just one nation. Um, <clears throat> but they still haven't fully turned themselves over to God yet, uh, and God has not uh, reigned in the midst of them. So, so that part is still to be fulfilled, and I think that's what the end of Revelation is talking about, when that will happen. Uh, but the point is, is that I think Ezekiel 37 was partially fulfilled or mostly fulfilled in, in uh, May of 1948. <clears throat> so then we move on to Ezekiel 38. And it says, And the word of the Lord came, and forgive my, uh, my speech here if I sound nasally. I got really bad allergies going on. But um, in Ezekiel 38, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togar, Togarma of the north quarters, and all his bands, <clears throat> and many people with thee. Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword, and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have, always, which have been always waste, but is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall also come to pass that at the same time uh, shall things come into my mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil and take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods, that dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? 
Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In the day when my people of Israel shall dwell safely, shalt thou not know it? And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And thou shalt come up against my people Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me, when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. Thus saith the Lord God, Art thou he of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years that I would bring thee against them? And it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come up against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence, and the mountains shall be thrown down, and steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood. And I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him an overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself. And I will be made and I will be known in the eyes of many nations and they shall know that I am the Lord. So um, reading that, it would seem like at some point in time, several nations are going to attack Israel, and God is going to defend Israel himself with pestilence and, and hail fire, and it sounds like maybe an earthquake, and he'll turn people against each other so that instead of fighting against Israel, they battle each other. It, it And it sounds like a great slaughter. You know, th these nations come against Israel and then God defends them. And there's similar language in, in the book of Revelation as well. Um, so when you read something like that, you can look and go, okay, if we take Ezekiel 37 to mean um, the Babylonian restoration, when, when, when Israel was allowed to return to their land, well, then when was Ezekiel 38 fulfilled? When were they ever attacked from the nations from the north in the surrounding nations, and you can't really say they were. You know, they were under the rule of, of Greece and Rome, under their protection. Um, historically, this, this event described in Ezekiel 38 has not happened. And what's interesting is when you, when you look into, like, who is Gog, who is Magog, and who is Meshach and Tubal, the, these nations, we read of Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya, and we might be a little bit more familiar with them. Uh, Ethiopia is uh, the land south of uh, Egypt, so it would be like Sudan and, and would include Libya. Uh, Persia is now the nation of I Iran, and most scholars agree that M Magog um because it's it's described as north of Israel so it would be like the the stan countries like Uzbekistan and stuff like that and Russia Russia is Meshach is like I've heard people say that Meshach is a form of Moscow and um so it's talking about Russia so we've got Russia Iran um I think Tubal is Turkey Russia Iran Turkey Sudan um Ethiopia Libya 
These are the, the nations that are described as coming against Israel. And so I look at that and I go, okay, Israel's at war with Palestine right now. But at the same time, these other nations that are mentioned in the in Ezekiel 38 are also in the world news. Like Iran and Turkey are threatening to get involved. And Russia is at war with um, Ukraine right now. So all these players, all these nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38 um, are active in world news right now. And, and so that makes me think of Ezekiel 38 and go, wow, man, could we be seeing this? Could this lead, um, could this is Israel-Palestine war lead uh, to something bigger? You know, we've certainly heard Iran and Turkey uh, threaten Israel, threaten to get involved. And um, you've got all these uh, Israel surrounded by Islamic nations. And if there's a world war, you know, we could certainly see Russia getting involved. Um, you know, she's already uh, at war and already on the verge of, of, you know, there's been a lot of talk of, of war with America if, if we get involved and so on and so forth. So these Ezekiel 38 events, um, I don't think they were fulfilled after the return from Babylon. And so, again, that gives credence to, to my interpretation of saying that Ezekiel 37 was fulfilled in 1948. And so Ezekiel 38 and 39 could not happen until after 1948. And it would seem like uh, those nations that are mentioned in those chapters are at play right now. And it, it could, it could it's the, that 38 chapter mentions the latter days. So it could be the end times. Um, this might be something that happens, you know, in the future. There, there's a time after the millennium period where the devil's released and he gathers the the <clears throat> the nations to to attack Jerusalem. It could be talking about that as well. Um, so again, that that's why prophecy is kind of hard to understand. But it certainly it piques your interest. It goes, you know, when you when you're hearing when you look at world news and you see Russia, Iran, Turkey, Israel, um, and then you those are the nations mentioned in Ezekiel thirty eight. So it definitely makes you go, hmm. So Ezekiel 39 then to finish it up says, Therefore thou son of man prophesy against Gog and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee and will cause thee to come up from the north parts and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. And I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands, and the people that is with thee. I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Uh, that certainly sounds like the language of Revelation 19. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. And I will send a fire on Magog, and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. That sounds like Revelation 19 as well. Um... So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name any more. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is come and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows and the handstaves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years." 
so that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forest. For they shall burn the weapons with fire, and they shall spoil those that spoiled them, and rob those that robbed them, saith the Lord God. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea, and it shall stop the noses of the passengers. And there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Haman Gog. And seven months shall the house of Israel be buried in them, that they may cleanse the land. Yea, all the people of the land shall bury them, and it shall be to them a renown, the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. And they shall sever out men of continual employment, passing through the land, to bury with the passengers those that remain upon the face of the earth, to cleanse it. After the end of seven months shall they search. And the passengers that pass through the land, when the any seeth a man's bone, then shall he set up a sign by it, till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamangog. And also the name of the city shall be Hamanah. Thus shall they cleanse the land. And thou, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, Speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that ye may eat flesh and drink blood. Again, that's almost verbatim what Revelation talks about. Ye shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and of lambs uh, and of goats, of bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And ye shall eat fat till ye be full and drink blood till ye be drunken, of my sacrifice which I have sacrificed for you. Thus shall ye be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men, and with all men of war, saith the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the heathen, and all the heathen shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. And the heathen shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they trespassed against me. Therefore hid I my face from them, and gave them into the hand of their enemies. So fell they all by the sword." According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions have I done unto them, and hid my face from them. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob, and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel, and will be jealous for my holy name. After that they have borne their shame and all their trespasses whereby they have trespassed against me, when they dwelt safely in their land and none made them afraid, when I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' land and sanctified them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them unto their own land and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the whole house of Israel. Or, I'm sorry, I didn't say whole. For I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. So, the prophecy ends with, with God defending Israel and a uh, massive defeat of, of Israel's enemies, um, so much so that, that um, all the weapons and, and things like that that are left behind, Israel is able to use for, for energy, for fire, for seven years. And it takes seven months to bury all the dead bodies. Um, so, these events very well could be fulfilled um, in our in our time in right now in our day and age you know like i say the, these are the the world events that are going on right now are involving these nations and involving war 
So if we see all these nations coming against Israel all of a sudden, it very well could be a fulfillment of these prophecies. Um, so the other thing that makes me, me give some validity to this is I've been studying geopolitical conspiracy theories uh, for quite some time. And part of the New World Order scheme, um, going back hundreds of years, called for three world wars. Um, it called for, for uh, and it specifically detailed the, 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 the participants and the reason for World's War, World Wars I and II. And then it's, it says that World War III would be a war between Israel and Palestine. That's what would kick it off. It would be this religious war. And you have um, the prime minister of Israel going on TV and quoting uh, the Bible. And, and Hamas, who attacked Israel, is mentioned four times in the Bible. The word means violence. So you, you have all these events going on that, that make it, it's very peculiar. It's very interesting. And yes, there's there's been attacks on Israel before. There's been um, instability in that area for quite some time. Uh, but it's just very interesting that now it, it seems a little bit more extreme than, than what we've seen in the past. And it seems like all these nations mentioned in the Ezekiel um, are at play. And um, just the timing of it, you know, the other things that are going on in the world that, that make you go, you know, what is this time that we're living in? Are, are we going to see a fulfillment of prophecy? Are we living in this prophetic time? And <clears throat> again, I, I don't know for sure. Um. Prophetically, you know, there's only a few things that I'm I'm convinced of absolutely. You know, I'm absolutely convinced that uh, as Christians, we're going to face hardships and persecution. The world is going to hate us. Um, it has in in since the time of Christ, and it will continually. We're always going to be outcasts. We're always going to be strangers and pilgrims. We're always the darkness is always going to hate the light, and we are the light, and the world is dark. And so the, the world is always going to hate us and always going to persecute us. Um, so that I know for sure. And I know that evil is going to wax worse and worse. Things are going to progress. Immorality and, and, and um, the satanic culture is going to grow and grow. The world is going to get darker and darker, um, which means more and more persecution. And we know that that um, persecution is going to grow. There's going to be hard times for Christians. And and at some point in time, we know the Lord is going to come back and wipe out the kingdoms of darkness. And I believe that the prophecies tell us that there's going that the, this dark world is going to unify as one against Christ, against Christians, against godliness, against morality. There's going to be a one world system opposed to us so that the the persecution is amplified because it becomes worldwide it becomes um systematized and 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 um technologically focused on Christians and i believe that there's going to be some sort of mark that everybody's required to take to show their allegiance to that system and if you don't take that mark you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be cut off from, from banking and finance, and, and you're going to be hunted down and, and um, imprisoned and or killed. So there's hard times coming. And I believe that 
Israel is is going to experience revival. The nation of Israel. Right now, the Jews are in the dark. The ministries to the Gentiles. Us Gentile people are the ones that receive the gospel. Uh, but at some point uh, during this dark kingdom, uh, that's going to stop. You know, the Gentiles are going to stop receiving the gospel message uh, for the most part, and we're going to go into complete darkness. While the nation of Israel, the Jews who have hardened their hearts against Christ, um, are going to be enlightened and, and going to have the gospel presented to them and are going to receive it and are going to be getting saved. Um, you know, the book of Romans talks about that. Paul talks about the wild and the natural olive branches and the time of Gentiles. Um, so so I believe that to be true. And I believe that that there will be, because of that, Israel will then be a focus of persecution. Israel will be attacked and persecuted, but will be supernaturally protected by God. And, and this dark kingdom that exists uh, will experience uh, tribulation, judgments from God as he pours down wrath, um, you know, supernatural signs that should cause people to repent and believe, but they won't. They'll harden their hearts. And then the end will come. Christ will return and, and will wipe that out and establish the thousand-year reign. So those are things that I believe for certain. Um, the minutia of it, the, the details of, of uh, uh, um, the, the zoomed-in focus, stuff like Ezekiel 38 and stuff like that, I don't know how that all plays into it for sure. I don't know where that plays into the timeline. Um, but like I say, it certainly sounds uh, like it is that time. And as Christians, you know, we certainly support and stand with Israel in, in a sense. In, it, it's kind of a, Islam is, is a religion of the devil. And so, so we, we oppose that. Although we don't believe in, in violently attacking them. We don't believe that uh, you can you can conquer evil with evil, that it has to be overcome with good. And while we do support Israel because we understand that God does have a prophetic plan for that nation, um, we also re recognize that they need the gospel too, that right now they've rejected the gospel and they're in darkness, uh, but God will redeem them. So, so there's this... Um, duality of, of recognizing they need the gospel, but they're also God's uh, sanctified, protected people, that there's a plan and a purpose for Israel. And and so we support them in that sense. And um, every Christian ought to be doing that. You know, we ought to reject any any um, idea of, of supporting Palestine. Uh, but at the same time, we also reject the idea of violence against them. Uh God will protect Israel. God will fight Israel's battles. Um, we we certainly don't want to see anybody killed. They're under they're under the the forces of demonic powers. They're under the spell of Satan, and only the gospel can break them out of that. But, um, so bottom line, I guess what what is my point? My point is is that it's very interesting. So so knowing. And I don't expect everybody to know this or believe this. It, it's I I know this and believe this because of years of study, but from from a geopolitical conspiratorial aspect, I understand the New World Order system, and I understand their plan, and I understand uh, their focus on Israel and their focus on the destruction of Israel, and I understand their their need for a one world government. I understand that. So when I see that, and then I also when I when I'm looking at these world events and I see Israel in the world news, and I see Iran, and Turkey, and Russia, 
it it makes me think of Ezekiel. It makes me me go back and read those verses and go, hmm, could this be happening right now? Could we be seeing the start of that? How does America play into that? What is what is our part as Christians? What do we do? Um, we ought to stand forth and proclaim the gospel then, knowing the days are short, knowing that time is short, knowing that the end could be near. Uh, we need to proclaim the gospel and trust God and, and hold loosely to the things of this world. know if uh, this is going to make the podcast or not. I I don't know if it's uh, podcast worthy or even if I have enough subject matter to um, talk enough about it. You know, if it's just a five minute conversation, I'm not going to put it on the podcast. But um, I said something a couple weeks ago that uh, seemed to upset one of my brothers. Maybe not upset, but he just, he found the, he found the statement to be, um, egregious, outrageous, um, kind of, he, he found it to be absurd, you know, just kind of a, he, he did not agree in the, in the strongest terms, but I had said it in, in a private group amongst my brothers and sisters, and, um, I do believe it's true, so I'm going to try to defend my position here. The statement I made was, an emotional man is an abomination. And so he, he thought that was just ridiculous. And to be honest, I was a little bit shocked that uh, somebody would find it to be uh, so offensive because I, I thought, man, it's... If you, if you just think the statement through, what I mean by it is not that, that men can't show emotion but that a man prone to emotional outbursts is abominable. And and by abominable, I mean something unnatural, something not the way God made it to be. You know, men are supposed to be men. I, I think I think one of the the biggest qualifiers of men is is that we are to be temperate. We're supposed to have our emotions in check. We're not supposed to be turned over to to emotional outbursts. And one of the biggest slights I have with society today, or at least the way media portrays society, is that there's so many effeminate, emotional men nowadays that they really are abominable. It's a disgusting thing to see. And so what I I don't mean that men can't have emotions. Like I, I tear up and cry all the time, you know, it's, it's, um, I consider myself to be pretty soft and sensitive, like movies and even commercials will make me cry sometimes, and I find lately I get kind of, I'm like, man, what, I'm kind of ridiculous, I tear up over just stupid things, you know, like, I'll be watching, uh, something romantic on TV and all that tear up and I'm like what the heck man what is wrong with me and so I don't mean that men can't have emotions you know we, we certainly do have emotions and and I don't mean that uh, men can't have 
extreme emotion sometimes. You know, if I think it's perfectly acceptable for a man to break down and lose it uh, when when a loved one dies. You know, or if um, you know, I was sitting there thinking like, if you lose a loved one, you're allowed to break down, and and nobody's going to question that. Nobody's going to view that as an abominable thing. And or if uh, your spouse cheats on you or leaves you or something like that, you're allowed to break down. You know, now at, at some point you got to pull yourself together and 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 man up, so to speak. I think the scriptures speak of it as girding up your loins or to quit you as men. You know, as to be strong, to gather yourself. So, so I certainly don't mean. And and when you worship, you can get uh, overwhelmed with emotion and tear up. And but what I mean by it is that men are not supposed to. Um, just be wimpy, you know, sobbing, just letting your emotions go out of control. That That's the opposite of what a man is supposed to be. Um, a man is supposed to uh, be self-controlled. And, you know, there's a reason why fathers, when, when their son is crying when he's young, you, we tell them a lot of times men do it in the wrong way. You know, they'll, they'll kind of callously say, you know, man up or don't cry. And what we need to tell them is, look, it's okay to cry, but don't let things get out of control. Control yourself. It's okay to have some tears slip out. You know, if something hurts or something goes wrong, a tear can slip out, but you don't turn into a sobbing, you know, slobbering fool. You don't, you don't let yourself go. You, you control yourself. You reel that in. And so when a man doesn't do that, when, when you see a man uh, screaming and crying and, and moaning and throwing a, throwing a fit is what we really see in today's society. I see all the time uh, so-called men throwing fits, the hissy fits, and, and just getting hysterical. And that is abominable. It's a, it, Just looking at it is repulsive and disgusting, and it's, it's not what men are supposed to be. You're supposed to be able to gather yourself, you know, and and, and take control of that. Um, and it, it's not just sadness, although that's that's where we see it the most. But um, we're supposed to have control over all emotional outbursts. We sh- we shouldn't be given into anger or uh, depression or any of that stuff. We should be able to, as men, gird up our loins, gather ourselves, and rein that stuff in. Um, it's, it's the way I feel like we're, we're designed. You know, women are emotionally based creatures. Men are not supposed to be that way. And again, it's not that we don't have emotions, but it's the uncontrollable, um, just emotional outbursts that you don't even really have to have a Christian background when you, when you, you can just look at it and something about it is repulsive. Something about it is it just seems unnatural. It seems um, just wrong and and disgusting. And I think that's what I mean when I say an emotional man is an abomination. And so I I, I don't know why my brother was so vehement in disagreeing with me. Um, even when I when I tried to define the terms, you know, what I mean by an emotional man is one prone to emotional outbursts 
not not just a man that has any sort of emotions. Of course we have emotions. I'm talking about a man who is turned over to his emotions and, and just is, is a blithering fool. And by an abomination, I mean unnatural, unmanly. And when you when you look at it from those terms, I think it's I think it's a biblical statement. I think it's an accurate statement, and um, it's it's just not what men ought to be. <clears throat> so again, I, I don't know if I'll include this on the podcast or not, but um, I've been thinking about it a lot since since uh, we discussed it last weekend at our Bible study, and I just wanted to speak it out loud, kind of. Um, put my thoughts into what I don't know what you would call it three dimensional reality that's like speaking about things a lot of times just helps clarify it in your mind so we'll see whether or not I put this on the podcast Alright, so that's what I got for you guys this week. Um, As always, I truly appreciate you listening. I love you, and Lord willing, we'll talk to you next time.